Thank you, Craig, for reading the scriptures for us as we begin our little bit of time together that you've given me to be able to stand before you and talk to you about the Word of God. Uh, I'm going to do something this morning that I generally don't do. I'm going to show you my notes. Usually, <laughs> usually I have smaller, smaller notes. And years ago when I was preaching, I had little tiny notes because I could see better. And Bonnie, when, when I was preparing this week, she said, Bill, you can't read. That's too small. You can't read that. And uh, she said, that's not the way you usually make your notes. And that's true because I, I usually have to make my notes large enough so I can read them without my glasses. But I'm going to have to use my glasses today. And the reason these notes are so small is because I just couldn't finish it. it. I was so excited about this subject. And I so much wanted to tell you about hope and about what the Bible says about hope that I just kept making notes all week. And it's not that I've... This is not the first time I've ever talked about hope or thought about hope. But it is, it is a time when I, I, I felt like I have a lot to say about it, and it's such a happy subject. It's such a wonderful subject. It makes you feel good. It's a feel-good subject. As a matter of fact, you cannot help but feel better if you have hope. It's something that you can't, you can't resist. It will overcome you, it will overwhelm you, and it will make you feel better. Well, I want to, first of all, show you in, in Ephesians chapter 4 that the text, what the text says, it says we are called in one hope of our calling. So that's important. That we remember that that expression is it's one hope of our calling because hope is a pretty broad subject. And it, when we begin to think about it, we think about some of the expressions that we have about hope. If I find somebody that's just become very discouraged and he's had a a uh, misadventure or he's had he's had a disappointment in his life I'll put my hand on his shoulder and I'll say something like don't lose hope keep your chin up don't lose hope because basically we're afraid that, that if we lose hope that we become despondent and that we don't want to face tomorrow that we don't want to get up in the morning that we that we don't feel good about ourselves we don't feel good about the world. We don't feel good about anything. When we lose hope, it's, it's a terrible feeling. Hope is sometimes represented as crossing your fingers. We kind of hope that something will go well for us. Even though we don't have any information that it will, we do hope that it will. And hope is not always easy to describe. Sometimes we confuse it with optimism. Optimism is that, that bright outlook that, that believes that everything that is in their life, in our life, in the optimist's life is, that we always look at the bright side, the sunny side, the shiny side. Everything is good for us. It doesn't necessarily mean we're thinking about the future being good, but it does mean that we're, we're taking a positive outlook on life. That's optimism. But you know what? You can destroy optimism. You can crush it, you can step on it, you can stomp it down, you can frustrate it, and you can, you can turn an optimist into a pessimist. 
You really can. You can crush them in their optimism. Sometimes people get get a little bit uh, disturbed that there's an optimist around them. They they get they say this. It makes me sick that you're seeing the bright side of everything. Now, an op- optimist is not the kind of person that that is the hopeful person. The optimist is the is the person that just sees everything good. The person who has hope is hoping that things will get better. Now that's the that's basically the difference, and we'll we'll discuss that in just just a few minutes. But hope is is sort of a nebulous characteristic, isn't it? It's sort of a nebulous thing. You can't really get your hands on it, but you know what it is, and you know when you have it, and you know when you don't have it. Isn't that correct? Amen. There's a there's there are a lot of poets have talked about hope, and, and they always talk talk about hope in sort of a ethereal sort of a way. We're not really sure what it is, but we know we like it. And the, probably the the, uh, the most famous and popular poem about hope is one that was written by Emily Dickinson. And she said, Hope is the feathered thing that perches in the soul and sings the tune without words and doesn't stop at all. Well, hope is that feathered thing that perches, perches on your soul. Let me tell you something about hope in the Bible. First of all, in the Old Testament, you very seldom run across the word hope. Did you know that? Very seldom will you see that word. You'll find it in a couple of places. Sometimes it talks about this individual hoping about that and that individual hoping about this or Israel hoping that things will get better for them. But, but there are very few passages in the Old Testament that actually talk about hope. I know of two, for, for instance. Psalm 71 verse 5 says, Thou art my hope, O Lord. And Jeremiah 17 verse 7 says, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. And that's important. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. The hope Israel had, the Old Testament hope, was that the Savior was going to come, a Messiah was going to come, a King was going to come, and restore them to their prominence that David had when he was the king in Solomon. Jesus does not ever use the term hope in, in the same relationship that we use it. Did you know that? He never talks about hope. But after the resurrection, after Jesus came out of the grave, the New Testament blossoms with hope, but not before. Jesus does not promise hope. He doesn't say anything about it. He doesn't use that term. Well, let me see if I can find my trigger for our chart. And let me see if I can name it right and get it. What is hope? It's time to think about it. It's time to ponder hope. What is it? Some of the uh, ancient philosophers said that hope is not worth anything. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't do anything. They say that any time you have hope, that is, and hope is actually an anticipation of improvement of things that will improve. So if you're hoping, you're, what you're hoping for, basically, is that things will get better in your life. That's what hope is. It is the anticipation that things will get better. 
And the ancient philosophers said, it's not of any value. It doesn't do any good, anybody any good. It's this sort of pie in the sky sort of stuff. It doesn't help you in your daily life. It, it has no benefit. Well, it does have, it, it's a motivator, that's for sure. It, it motivates us to get up in the morning. It motivates us to do good things because we're looking for rewards, basically. And, and maybe that's not hope when we're looking for rewards. And that's probably why Israel didn't use the word hope a lot. Because they were based on a system of promises and rewards and punishment. So if they did good, God would reward them. If they did evil, God would curse them. And that's what Moses said. At the end of the giving of the law, he stood upon the mount and he read the, read the, the law and he said, if you'll keep these... God will bless you. He'll make you prosper in the field and in the city. Your flocks will flourish. Everything will be good. But if you don't, He'll curse you. He'll curse you in the field. He'll curse you in the city. He'll curse you everywhere. So the Old Testament was based upon a system of rewards and punishments. So maybe the hope, the word hope didn't have a lot of, a lot of meaning for them. But when we come to the New Testament, all of a sudden, the New Testament, after the resurrection of Jesus... It's like a flower garden. It just blossoms with hope. And hope, if we understand it, is the anticipation that the future will be better than the past. That something good is, is going to happen. That, that, uh, that we can expect, we can anticipate something good. Now, as I said, the, the ancient philosophers said, hope doesn't do you any good. It has no value for you. It doesn't make it doesn't make any difference in your life. But there, were, the modern philosophers came along and said, "Wait a minute. We think hope has value." Kierkegaard and Kant, which were some of the most prominent later years philosophers from the 18th century forward, they said that hope has a value because hope includes in its concept God. So they say, well, things can get better because God is involved. Okay. So they, that's, that's what they came up with. They came up with the idea that, oh, all right, we, we, can, we can think about hope and we can think that it's good because it helps us understand that things will get better because God is going to be involved in this. Romans 12 to verse 12 says that we are to be rejoicing in hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says... Now abides faith, hope, and charity, and the greatest of these is charity, which is love. All right. Three things, faith, hope, and charity. Love is that which prompts us and motivates us to do what is good. Hope is that which, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, is the anchor of our soul. It holds you down. It holds you firm. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Faith is a substance of things hoped for. And I, I want to be sure that we, we keep this in mind because it says faith is a substance of things hoped for. A substance means that which stands under and holds it up. Faith holds hope up. If you lose faith, you lose hope. Okay. And in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, Whatsoever things were written beforehand, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So we can read in the Scriptures that we can have hope. And of course, as, as I already quoted in, 
in uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 through 20 that faith is the, that hope, I mean, hope is the anchor of our soul. But first, first Peter chapter 5 verse 7, when we're talking about the definition of hope, first Peter 5 7 says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So, I, I'm, I'm kind of going to take a long way around to get, to get to my point. What I'm saying is that that we care for God and He cares for us. And that we can cast our cares upon Him. And that's a sort of a hope, isn't it? We say, well, if, if, if this door shuts, God will open another one for us. Isn't that what we say? And that's what we think. We cast all our cares upon Him because He cares for us. So we believe... And it's a hope that we hold in within our hearts. We believe that God will take care of our needs. And that's a form of hope. That's not the hope we're going to talk about. That's not the hope in Ephesians chapter 4. That's not what we're going to talk about. But it is something we have to keep in mind. Because that's the hope of our calling. This is just a hope that we place in God. Now in the book of Matthew chapter 6 at verse 25... Jesus said, don't be careful for anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be concerned what you shall eat, what you shall wear. Where, where you, you don't, don't be concerned about these things because God knows you have need of these things. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Optimism says, everything's going to be alright. Jesus says, everything's probably not going to be alright. Jesus said, take up your cross, Matthew chapter 11. Take up your cross and follow me. Now that doesn't sound like everything's going to be rosy and good, does it? Persecutions. Jesus said, don't worry about what your family says because they may hate you. You say optimistically, well maybe I can get them to like me. But Jesus said not to be concerned about that. So optimism sometimes gets in our way. What we're going to hope for, however, is things that God will work things out according to His plan and what He wants for us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now what we do is, we, we take a look at hope and we say, okay, Lord, I, I want a new job. I want a better job. Now we, we call that hope. Well, we do know that God said he, he will care for us. He cares for us. Cast all our cares upon Him because He cares for us. So our faith tells us, because we have some substance now, our faith tells us that we believe God cares for me. Do you believe God cares for you, Carl? Do you really? Amen. That He even pays attention? You're just a little pipsqueak down here and a little tiny ant in an anthill. And you're saying, God, God's going to take care of my needs? Well, the Bible says, yes, He is. Amen. Because He cares for you. Yes. Okay, so then I have that confidence, and I can get up in the morning, and I can say, well, if things fall apart, I still know that somebody cares for me. And that God will take care of my needs. Now, He may not give me what I want, but He's going to give me what I need. I want a tuxedo. A well-fitting tuxedo by Brooks Brothers. 
God says, you don't need that, Bill. You can have a pair of Levi's and a plain cotton shirt and a tie you got off the, the uh, rack. That's what you can have. I say, okay, Lord, but that's good enough, I guess. I know it is. Because it, I, I may want these things. I want a better job. I lose this job and I want another one. And I want a good one. And so am I hoping for one? No. What I'm doing is I'm saying, I know God cares for me and He will give me the job I want. One time, I quit my job, which was a very, very good job. And I moved to another part of the country, another part of the state, to preach the gospel. And I thought within myself, well, because I'm doing this noble thing for God, He's going to give me a good job. And I didn't even, I, I found out where I could preach. I found a place that, that they needed a preacher so bad that they would take me. And so I found this place and I said, Bonnie, let's go. And we, had a, we had a baby, six month old baby. And I said, let's go preach the gospel. Okay, she said, let's go. She didn't have any better sense than I did. <laughs> but I knew, what I thought was, oh, okay, Lord, I'm doing a noble thing. I'm going to go preach. Get me a good job. I just quit the one I had. So I went to get a good job. And you know what? I found one. It wasn't a good one. I found one, and I didn't like it. But I took it. And I worked down in the basement of a, of a lumber mill. And every now and then, the machinery would clog up and spit out all these this nasty-smelling wood chips and stuff down on me, and I'd have to shovel it out. And I thought, I, Lord, this was not what I had in mind. I wanted, I wanted a good job. But he said, Bill, this is what I'm giving you. So I quit it. And I thought, well, the Lord will give me another one. And you know what? We liked to starve to death before I found another job. We really did. And we were, we were dependent upon my sister sending us a $25 check and a brother in Christ who came along and said, Bill, you look hungry. And he gave me 20 bucks. And we were able to exist on that until I got another job. So I knew that God cared for me. But sometimes when I think what I, I want and what I need are going to be two different things. I want friends. I want respect. I want fame. I want for I want I want to be I want to get into a, a situation of ease and comfort. These are things that I want God to provide for me. And you know what he has? God has provided for all of us, hasn't he? And that's going to be a problem. God has provided for us. So it says it says cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. And even though I I didn't really get what I wanted, I got what I needed. And you're probably in the same situation I'm in. Maybe not what you wanted, what you had in mind, but what you needed. So what happens is that sometimes when we begin to think about hope, we're thinking we're, we've got a pie-in-the-sky wish. Wishful thinking. Now that's not what hope is. Hope is not wishful thinking. I, I want to illustrate this because sometimes that's what we begin to think that hope is. For instance, and, and I, I, want, I don't want to be cruel about this, but I, I, think, I, I think I need to say these things. We sometimes take a position 
that we, we have what we call hope that we place where it shouldn't be placed. I, I've had in my past, I've had alcoholic people in my past. And I've always hoped that they would get better. Always hoped they'd get better. Some of you have in your background, in your family, you have those who have become addicts, let's say drug addicts. They're addicted to cocaine or they're addicted to opium or they're addicted to alcohol. They're addicts. And you have, you have this constant hope that they will get better and do better. And you know what? Freud, this word wishful thinking, was never used until 1930. And that's when Freud used it. That's wishful thinking. If that individual, if we look at that individual and say, okay, we hope that they get better and that they kick their addiction, get over it. But they still run around with people that are taking drugs. They still find themselves in situations where they're surrounding themselves with the opportunity to take drugs. They still get depressed and have nothing to place their confidence in. We're looking at their character and we're hoping something's going to happen and we should know better. It's not going to happen until number one, they decide they're going to quit. Until number two, they get out of that environment. Until number three, they seek some help. We have to look at the character of the person who we're, who we're relying on to bring about that situation, to bring about that, that conclusion. We, we have to understand that when we're talking about hope, we have to depend upon the person who made the promise. The person says, and I've heard it so many times, I'm not going to take another drink. And the first thing you know is they come slobbering to your door, banging on the door. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I fell off the wagon again. You have no, I have no confidence in a person until I see something about their character and what they're going to do. The, the individual that's addicted to alcohol cannot sit in the bar and be a barfly and go and run around with people that are drinking all the time. Cannot go down to the beach with everybody who's drinking. They can't stay in that environment. So we can't have any confidence in the person who's making the promise that they're going to do better. And I can't build my hopes up on that individual because I have no confidence in that person's word. It's, it's almost like the, uh, the Bernie Madoff scheme, you know. You can get rich overnight. And so... Give me, your, give me your life savings and I'll make you wealthy. But people didn't, didn't take a look at him and say, who's, who's making this promise? Who's telling me that he can do this for me? The man's character has something to do with his ability to provide the promise that he's made. So when I'm talking about the promise of God, when I'm talking about the promise of the New Testament, I have to be thinking about what sort of basis does that promise sit upon? And what kind of promise is it? Let's see if I can get this. God's promise is eternal life. Now that's why I wanted to mention this to you earlier. God has not promised to get me a better job. God has not promised to make me wealthy. God has not promised to make me healthy. God has not made all those promises. 
He has promised to answer my prayers. He's promised to care for me. He's promised to do what He can to do for me in this life. But the promises of God in the New Testament, and this is what we're looking at. We're not looking at the other things that we think are promises. But God's promise is eternal life. Titus chapter 1 at verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Now then, can I have a hope for eternal life? Only if I trust the one who made me that promise. I loaned a person $100,000 and they promised to pay it back. What if they don't? Well, I've placed my confidence in the wrong individual. Absolutely have. But God said, Bill, I will give you eternal life. And I asked the question, well, God, are you sure? Will you do that? Will you really do that? Well, the Bible says God cannot lie. And I'm thinking, that's right, He can't lie. In Colossians 1 verse 5, it says, For the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. The hope is where? It's not that I'm going to do better on this earth. The hope we're talking about in the New Testament that blossoms with hope is the hope of eternal life. 1 John 2.25 This is the promise that He's promised us even eternal life. That's the promise. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 and here's the, here's, the, here's the kicker. If in this life only we have hope we are all men most miserable. Think about it. If in this life only, if I'm only hoping about having good things in this life, I'm all of all men most miserable. If I'm thinking, Lord, make me healthy, and I get that, if that's the only hope I have, Lord, make me happy. Give me a good job. Lord, give me a good house. Give me a good car, one that runs. Give me something. Give me, give me, give me. And if I can get all of these things, then I feel like, I'm, in, I'm very blessed. But God said, if in this life only we have hope, if that's where we put our hope in this life, we're of all men most miserable. So we've got to look at something else. We've got to look at this. Maybe. <laughs> that's bedrock. If I'm going to believe that I'm going to get up out of the grave... I'm going to have to have confidence in someone who can get me out of the grave. Now, the, now the, the promise we have is that we're going to be resurrected. We sometimes think about the promise of eternal life in terms of how we feel. Now, our problem with feeling, feeling the euphoria of hope is that we're hoping for the wrong things. We're happy, we're satisfied, everything is going well. Why should I be concerned about the life after a while? Have you been hoping for eternal life? Have you felt the hope growing up in you of eternal life? Probably not. I'm looking out over this audience and I'm thinking, you're probably nobody much older than I am. And, uh, and really, the only time that this is going to make a real impact on me is when I'm standing next to my grave and I'm looking at this blank wall and I'm thinking I'm, I'm getting ready to cross over 
I'm going to die. And I don't know what's on the other side. Did you know that? We're told that we have a hope of eternal life. But God doesn't tell us what heaven's going to be like. Oh, in the book of Revelation, you read about the city with golden streets. That's talking about your heart and the, and the kingdom of heaven right now. That's not talking about after a while. We're standing facing a big wall of darkness, a big black sheet, a big black thick wall. And we're getting ready to go over. That's when I need some hope. That's exactly when I need it. Now, when I'm standing there and my wife is getting ready to die, I'm, that's, that's bothering me. But, but that doesn't call upon my hope. Sure, I hope that everything will be right for her. I've always hoped that. But the hope that I have in my heart, that God puts in my heart, is when I get ready, he, this, is your, this is your hope. This is not your wife's hope, not your husband's hope, not your kid's hope, not your grandparents' hope. It's your hope. When you stand ready to go over, that's when you need hope. That's when you say, well, I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be great. There's no description in the Bible about heaven. Nothing. It's just eternal life. And we're told that what we're hoping for is a resurrection. So when I stand ready, hopefully, if I believe in God, if I've placed my faith in Him, and I believe that He can, in fact, give me hope, and my hope rests upon my faith in Him, on that bedrock of His promise, I'm going to, I'm going to say, Lord, okay, and I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, don't worry about Bill. I'll be back. Now, I don't care what you have to say. If I'm dying, I don't care what you have to say. I want you to tell me you love me and all that. But what I'm concerned about is, where am I going? The Bible tells me, God tells me, Bill, I've got you. Step on out here. And you can come back. And I'm going to say, I'm going to look back and say, hey, I have hope. I'll be back. Remember what MacArthur said in World War II at the Philippine Islands? When he was driven off the Philippine Islands by the, by the Japanese forces, he promised the people of the Philippines, he said, I will return. And that really is, should be our motto. When we stand at the, at the open yaw of the grave and we know we're going to pass over, when do we need our hope? Well, when things are going well, I don't need any hope. When I'm happy and fat and comfortable and healthy, I don't need hope. But I'll tell you when I'm going to need it. When I get ready to pass over, I'm going to need it. And I'm going to have to say, okay, Lord, I'm coming and I'm coming back. This is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 2. And it's a quotation, verse 26 and 27. He said, therefore, my flesh shall rest in hope. My flesh shall rest in hope. Because he was going into the grave. He said, you will not leave my soul in hell. He said, that's the grave. That's, that's a quotation from the book of David, from David's statement. So, when we get ready to die, that's when we need our hope. Yes, it's, 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 it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have the care of God. And it's wonderful to think that things will get better tomorrow than they are today. Things can get black, can't they? 
They can, they can close down around on us. And we can crawl off into a, into a state of, of despondency. And some of us like that. We like to, we like to be despondent. We like to be, we like to be discouraged. We, we like to crawl into a dark place in our house and, and get into a corner and pull the curtains of darkness down over us and, and feel sorry for ourselves. And we like to get in there and think, well, we don't, we don't care. We don't think in that way. We get cynical about life. We just, we don't care what's going to happen. And we just feel like we can just curl up and die by ourselves. And you know what? If we're not careful, if there's not a crack somewhere in that darkness and the sunshine of God's love comes through, it's going to, it's going to create hope whether we like it or not. When hope wraps its warm arms around us and says, it's okay, it'll be all right, I love you. That's when we come out of the darkness. And I don't care how despondent you get, and I don't care how desperate you get, and I don't care how hopeless you feel. When the hope of Jesus Christ, when God says, I love you, I love you so much, I sent my son to get you, he loves you, and he'll take care of you, just come on and go with me. And when we get right to the end, and we're all going to get right to the end, I'll take care of you, and I'll let you come back. The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. I, I pray, God, that you got that hope this morning. You say, well, how do I get it? Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's tough, isn't it? He's come in the flesh. The Son of God has come in the flesh. Do you believe that? If you've heard the gospel, you say, well, what else, preacher? Well, get, get with him. Get connected with Jesus Christ. How do I do that? Well, the first thing you do is you confess his name. It may not go well for you. Your family may not like it. Your friends may not like it. The world is certainly not going to like it. But you can, you can tell people, hey, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. And he came to get us. He wants me to go to heaven with Him. And He's going to take care of me during this life. And then when I die, He's going to bring me back to life. And then be baptized in Jesus Christ for admission of your sins. Rise and walk in newness of life. Connect your heart with His heart. And He'll take care of you. He certainly will. God help you make those good decisions in your life. Let's stand and sing a song of invitation.